everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. It's fantasy football playoff time. That's right. Week 14 is here, which means the fantasy football regular season is over. It's time to preview the fantasy football playoffs. Joining me in the studio today are two people who have their own fantasy football podcast, Alan Pines and Zach Cohn-Douglas of the Fantasy World Podcast. We'll be breaking down the headlines of the fantasy football season. Hopefully, offer you some tips on how to get through your first-round matchups if you're there, or if you want to buy some players to pick up to help you get ready for the championship run. Show Me the Money's also back with NFL picks for week number 14. I had a rough week last week, went 0-3, made some questionable picks, looked to get better there. I have a new voice to the podcast coming into the studio, former Iona alum Nick Frietta, a friend of mine, will be hopping in here to do some picks. That's coming up as well. Stay tuned to the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, where I recap what life has been like as a Met fan this week. And there have been some ups and downs. There have been a lot of things happening in the Mets this week, so we'll recap that at the end of the show. But we'll get it all rolling with this week's opening tip, where we take a look at the latest rock bottom for the New York Jets right after this. For the rest of the season. See the red zone issues that this offense has had this season. Plaggy for Dalton. Off the seam and is caught for the touchdown. Tyler Boyd. As Dalton throws him a strike. What a rip by Dalton. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. That call is her courtesy of CBS's Spiro Diaz and Adam Archuleta. Andy Dalton throwing an absolute strike for a touchdown to Tyler Boyd as the Jets find a way to lose to the winless Cincinnati Bengals 22-6. to It wasn't just a loss to the Bengals. They got dominated by a team that was 0-11 entering the the game. 0-11. And as Spiro Diaz pointed out during the broadcast on Sunday. The Jets now are in the annals of NFL history for all the wrong reasons. They are the first team in the history of the National Football League, which is 100 years old, by the way. The first team in the history of the league to lose twice in one season to teams that enter the game 0-7 or worse. The other one's that Miami game back in week 8, which we, week 8 or 9, which we thought was rock bottom. There is no rock bottom with the Jets. There always is another one because, once again, this team gets full of itself, leads all the hype, and says, you know, we're great. We can show up to Cincinnati, throw our helmets on the field, and we'll win the game. Nope. Not going to happen. I don't blame the quarterback for this one. The quarterback actually showed up to play. Robbie Anderson partially showed up to play. The defense didn't show up for the first half. That's why the Jets were in this huge hole. The rest of the offense did not bother to show up. The offensive line, again, an utter disaster. Literally, the Bengals could not do anything all year rushing the passer. All of a sudden, they find the Jets. Calvin Beach has got three sacks to Carlos Dunlap. Fantastic. The offensive line, two major holding penalties. Two big plays wiped out by Holtz and by Tom Compton. Calvin Beecham gets called for a hold in the end zone for a safety in this game. And, again, the other killer, the special teams penalties. They've been recurring with this team the entire year. It felt like every other kickoff, there was a hold, a block in the back, whatever it was. And also the Jets are starting to drive inside their own 15-yard line. And that doesn't matter who you're playing. That's not going to work out. But to me, this was just the typical, typical Jets loss. This is a game where 
you know, that they have one of their best performances in years. They blow the Raiders out 34-3. The media is all over them. For week. Oh, the Jets are great. They're scoring points. They figure it out. Adam Gase is on to something. Lay an egg in Cincinnati against a bad team. We've seen this before with this franchise. Not even that long ago. Remember back in 2017 when they beat the Bills on that Thursday night? Everybody was dancing on the field, and they were talking about how the Jets might sneak into a wild card spot. Ten days later, they go down to Tampa, play a miserable Buccaneer team, and finally they lose that football game. That's one great example for you right there, that Tampa game. Another one, they, they, I think that same year, they beat the Kansas City Chiefs, who were in playoff contention at, at MetLife. They win this game, they put up one of the best performances ever that they've had under the Todd Bowles era. Next week, go to Denver, was on eight-game losing streak, get shut out. This is so typical of the Jets, and this is, again... Nothing changes with this franchise. And the biggest culprit, I think, for this loss is Adam Gaze, who, for some reason, is just on a mission to prove he doesn't need Le'Veon Bell. And we know the reports came out earlier in the winter that he didn't want Le'Veon Bell here. He's denied it to the nail, but you know what? Actions speak louder than words, and he is not using Le'Veon Bell nearly enough. In the first half of their game against the Bengals, the Jets were just dialing up passes left and right. They only call, I think, like nine runs against 20-something passes. That's not right. That Bengal team entered the game dead last in the league in, in terms of rush defense. They got up 160-something yards a game. Le'Veon Bell gets 10 carries for the whole game. 10. Not good enough. And Adam Gates after the game is going, oh, you know, it went according to plan, but, you know, circumstances dictated that we stay away from the run. That is the biggest load of garbage I've ever heard. You run the game plan. You decided that you wanted to throw the ball and take d- deep shots left and right, even though the Bengals could not stop the run. You decided that it was in your best interest to p- just play chuck and duck all day instead of grounding and pounding the football against a team that could not stop the run to save their lives. And as Spiro Diaz and Adam Archuleta pointed out, the few occasions the Jets ran the ball, they ran right into the middle of the Bengal defense where Geno Atkins is, where there's their one strength, and they went at it again and again and again with no results. And they're like, well, we can't run. Well, throw the football. That worked out so great for them. I'm just sick of this coach again. Basically, he's already here next year. That three-game winning streak basically saved his job. Christopher Johnson gave him the guarantee, but I find it hard to believe he would have come back if his team went like 2-14 and or something like that. But this team finds new ways to embarrass itself week after week after week. And this is a complete failure for this team. I mean, the defense doesn't show up for a half. Puts another big hole. Jamal Adams is playing hurt in this game. Wasn't able to do much. Quinton Williams, again, the excuses are starting to come out for Quinton Williams. Now we're starting to hear about how the, oh, he's not being asked to do a lot. He's being asked to double team. That's why he's not producing. He has a sack and a half this season. He was the third pick in the draft, and everybody was talking about how he was the best player in the class. You know what? I'm sick of that garbage. If you're telling me that you picked a guy third to clog up double teams and make plays for everybody else, that's a load of crap. I'm sorry it is. That means that Greg Williams cannot scheme for him and that you wasted the asset. When you could have had a guy like Josh Allen, who I believe has about nine sacks of the Jaguars right now, or even Ed Oliver who is playing this about the same position as Quentin Williams and his five sacks of the Bills, including four in the last couple of games. That's been a waste of a pick again. And the Jets just, you can't ever count this team. When you think they'll win, they'll lose. 
this year against the spread. They have been favored three times. They have not just failed to cover three times. They have lost outright every time they've been favoring a game this year. There was Buffalo week one when they blew the, blew the game late and collapsed. That was Miami in week nine when they were entering an 0-7 team and found a way to lose that game. And the Bengal game where they were favored by three and a half and found a way to lose that game. Stupid me picked them in two of those three games. And I will never do that again. The Jets are somehow favored by big numbers against Miami this week. But I don't understand why. What of this football team has showed you that they deserve to be huge favorites against anybody? Nothing. They reminded us on Sunday that they are not a good football team. They're not as bad as their their neighbors at MetLife. The Giants might be the worst team in the league. The Jets are not that much better than them. The Jets have so much work to do. The entire offensive line needs to be overhauled. Every single one that could go. I would not miss any of them. This team needs players in the secondary. They need a pass rusher. They need a number one wide receiver because Robbie Anderson is not it. I'm sorry, he's not. They need help for the quarterback. They need to use the running back they paid all this money to, and not just because the coach is brilliant and he doesn't need him. He is the best offensive player on this team, and the fact that Le'Veon Bell is getting used as little as he is is just a waste of everybody's time. It's pathetic that they cannot get this right. That's a big issue, and the Jets just don't get it until... We see this franchise eliminate these kinds of losses. These games that are just mind-numbingly bad losses to teams that have nothing to play for and are much worse than them. When the Jets stop laying these eggs, then we might have something. Until that happens, it's just the same old Jets. But enough on the Jets. Let's get to fantasy football. We will do our fantasy football playoff preview with Allen and Zach right after this. Got him, go! Five runs, three passes. A little trickery here. The Hawkins and more trickery to Watson. Touchdown. Oh, baby. Like a four by 100 relay. Not a give and take here. Handoff, handoff. Yep. Option play out wide. Perfectly executed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean to tell you. And for Bill O'Brien, if you only have one play. That was the one. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call you just heard of the DeAndre Hopkins touchdown pass to De- to De- uh, Deshaun Watson, courtesy of NBC Sports' is out, Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. That might have screwed a few, few people up in fantasy football, especially when you're playing those leagues where you have four points for a touchdown instead of six. Joining me today to preview the fantasy football playoffs, which start this week in most sane leagues, are the hosts of the Fantasy World podcast, First up, Alan Pines. Alan, welcome. How are you? Thanks for having me, Mike. Glad to have you here. Also glad to have your co-host here, Zach Cohn-Douglas. Zach, welcome. How are you? Not bad, not bad. What's going on? Not much. Before we get into the fantasy football at all, can you guys talk a little bit about how you started your podcast? Honestly, I think it's just too eager to get going. Students starting the master's program, linking up right off the bat and just rolling with it. Honestly, I don't know if Zach has a different take on it. Yeah, I mean, no, that pretty much covers it. Um... You know, coming into the program, I knew I wanted to do um, a podcast, and I'm really into fantasy, so it just seemed natural. And then, you know, I met Alan, and I saw his, you know, skills on the mic, and I was like, oh, that could be could be a good match. Yeah, it's funny, quick, funny story about uh, me and Zach doing a podcast. So, I'm a little bit older, Mike. I'm I'm your age, so I'm calling us old, and I apologize if that offends you. But I'm not offended. Go ahead. <laughs> but uh, so we had to. I'm I'm the like 
to the untrained eye, I guess I come off as kind of just like weird and old and annoying. So I, I assume nobody's ever one I'm going to be my partner. And then we did a class, and I was like, you know what? I'll ask Zach. He seems nice. And Zach's like, actually, I'm, I'm going to go solo. And I'm like, ah, oh, damn. <laughs> and then I went, I went, and like I performed. And then Zach was like, yo, you want to do a podcast? So I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah. It just took. I needed to prove myself a little bit yeah, to you be need accepted. To prove, you yeah, need to prove your worth. <laughs> yeah, right. y- and Zach? then me and Zach teamed up, and it's it's pretty smooth sailing every time we're on the mic. So yeah, Zach's a little too cool for school. Where I was like, you know, yeah. I gotta sh- you gotta earn your spot. <laughs> you gotta, yeah, you gotta test hey, the you gotta pay your dues, man. Okay, so for the people who have not listened to your podcast, I listen. It's a lot of fun. Can you talk about what you guys do on a typical episode, Zach? Yeah, I mean, we just really you know go over the week of fantasy you know kind of just like an overall you know update kind of review of the week and you know the trends going into each week and that kind of stuff yeah we don't we don't like we don't have a lot of filler we get right to the point yeah and we we have a couple like segments we like to do our heroes of the week people that surprised us if maybe they were under the radar and had a really nice week we have like the zeros of the week and then Zach and I have gone back and forth drafting mini fantasy lineups throughout the whole season and just like quick quick stuff like that nothing too heavy and we just you know we see what we like and we say what we're we think we're gonna like and yeah we just keep it simple with the with the the pros the cons and what we're looking forward to essentially yeah i mean it's fantasy football it's not hard it's just, right just have fun with it right I, you know what you talk about most sane leagues i have a league which i won last year 16 teams week 17 championship I hate the Week 17 championship. Everybody with the yeah, same mind does. I don't even know how it's legal considering you got teams that, you know, by that time are yeah, probably clinched their playoffs. The, the, play out the teams it. who've clinched are sitting a lot of people for most of the game, and the teams that are really bad don't want their stars getting hurt. So it's it's bench players all around. It's stupid. Yeah, I mean, imagine this year if you're in a championship game Week 17 and the Ravens have it locked up, you can't use Lamar Jackson. What are you going to do? Right. It makes absolutely no sense. By the way, if I'm the Ravens, and I've clinched. I am sitting him because he knows how to play football. He'll be fine yeah. when the when the divisional round starts up. Now, Alan. Yes. Don't say that because you got people out there like me who have Lamar Jackson as their starting quarterback and need this championship. So well, do you have a week don't seventeen put that, championship? Don't put that bad energy out there. I think I have one. Oh gosh, yeah. that's brutal. Terrible. So. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about our fantasy football teams this year. I am in two leagues. I have made the playoffs in both. I am the four seed this week, playing the five seed in two leagues. So uh, let's start with Zach. Zach, how are your teams doing this year? Um, I've done pretty well this year. This is the first year I've decided to do three leagues. Um, the most I've ever done, and I believe over the three leagues, I am about four or five games over five hundred. So pretty successful. And then, you know, the one league that kind of messed me up was I'm in a 10-man league, and that's the first time I've ever done a 10-man. And um, there's definitely some big differences with 10-man leagues. It's not it's not much about depth. You really got to hit on your early picks or, or you're done, as I learned, unfortunately. And in my other two leagues, though, I've had some success. I'm 11-1 in uh, one 12-man league, and then I'm 8-5 uh, and five in the other. So looking good heading into playoffs. Al, how about you? How are you doing this year? Two leagues, not making the playoffs in either. And, you know, I'm not one for excuses and whatnot. My one league, 10-team league, very competitive. I just didn't make the cut with a 500 record. In my big money league, like I said, I won last year. So the people listening to our fantasy advice, please know I have won a, a very impressive league, 16 teams, keeper league. So 
Going into the draft this year, I had the last pick, and every star running back was already being kept. So with my first two picks, so I had the snake, I had the, I had the 16 and 17 in theory. I took Carson and Juju, and my keeper was Zach Ertz. So about six weeks ago, I'd say, I was like, I was done. I'm like, I'm selling, I'm getting a pick for next year. So I traded Chris Carson for the a second rounder straight up. So I'll have three picks in the first in the first two rounds. So I'm sitting all right. But but this year I took them. I was two and six and I sold. I said, all right, I'm gonna get picks and I've run the table ever since. So out of the sixteen team league, I'm gonna finish in seventh one spot shy of the playoffs. Ouch. Yeah. And if I had Chris Carson, it might be a different story, but the only way I make the playoffs is if I win, my division winner loses, and I score 50 more points than he does. So I'm out. Sounds like an uphill climb, Zach. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't <laughs> like his chances, but... It all starts tonight with Mitchell Trubisky. Also, I you never know in fantasy, man. I've seen crazier things happen, so... But yeah, sixteen team sixteen team leagues are hard because you're only normally going to get one really good player at a position, and if they go down, you are scraping the bottom of the barrel. I've had Matt Stafford go down. Now I have Trubisky, and I traded Chris Carson, so my running back tandem has been Ronald Jones and Brian Hill. So Oof. it's tough. But I have had Kenny Galladay. He has been that league's MVP for me this season. There you go, and. And inspired by you guys, with your heroes and zeros, let's do for the season here. Let's do some heroes and zeros. Zach, I'll start with you. Who is your fantasy hero this season? Hmm. I mean, it's got to be Lamar Jackson for me personally. Um, I drafted him in two out of the three leagues, and he is currently carrying my 11-1 team through the season. Um, let me, I mean, let me just read you this roster, and you tell me if you think this is an 11-1 roster. Lamar Jackson, Ezekiel Elliott, Robert Woods, Devontae Parker, Adam Thielen, who's been hurt all year, James Conner, who's been hurt all year, and Terry McLaurin. So it's been pretty much all Lamar Jackson on that team. He's putting up like 40 a game. He's been absolutely insane. And another MVP, I would have to say, is DJ Moore, um, a guy I was super high on and ironically traded in one league, but traded for him in another, so it evened out. Um, you know, I was, I was a little worried when he lost Cam, but to see how he's flourished and come on late at the perfect time with his new quarterback, um, I honestly think he's going to win some people their leagues this year. Yeah, Alan, who are your heroes? In, in the league I had mentioned, I, I had mentioned Kenny Galladay. In my other league, which was very competitive, I had Michael Thomas, and he was just an absolute oh, yeah. monster this season. Christian McCaffrey, too, was an, another obvious one. but Yeah, but these are for who I had. Right. So, I, I mean, I had Deshaun Watson as well, and I had Michael Thomas and Deshaun Watson, and I didn't make the playoffs. That's how competitive our league was. That's right. And another MVP who I unfortunately sat during most of his monster games, and it's somebody I'm going to tease later, it's Marvin Jones. Like, he was my bench MVP of the season. <laughs> yeah, you, everybody has that one guy. You put him in, he stinks. You put him on your bench, he scores. It's just yeah. the way it works. That was Marvin Jones for me. Yeah. My MVP, Zach just mentioned him. I had Christian McCaffrey. I picked him third in my league. And Saquon and Kamara went 1-2. Boy, but did you win that one. Huh? I won that one. Those two teams missed the playoffs. I got in there with McCaffrey basically carrying the mail for me. That was number one. And also, Russell Wilson, fantasy oh, yeah. MVP. I mean, 
At one point, 22 touchdowns against one pick, which is absurd. And yeah. The, he's not running as much, but he's making big plays to Tyler Lockett, to uh, what's his name, the other guy, DK Metcalf. Yep. I think he's well on his way to being the guy. Once Brady retires, I yeah. think it'll be his, like he's the guy. Yeah, it's it's funny for like how his progression has gone. It's it's kind of similar to Brady in a lot of ways, like obviously minus the championships, but when you know when he came in, Everyone looked at him like he was just a game manager. He was getting carried by the defense. And, you know, to see what he's become, I mean, would you, is there a player you'd rather have in the fourth quarter with the ball? You know, probably not. No. So it's, it's pretty, you know, that's Maybe Brady, but that's, yeah, that's the tier. Yeah. Yeah, so let's go the other way. Let's go some zeros, who guys who have been just busting this entire season. I'll throw one out there. This is from my team, but just aside from the obvious ones, Todd Gurley. So, so inconsistent this year. Just yeah, you could throw that whole Ravens offense in the... The Ram offense, I mean. In the, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Ty Gurley this year, I mean, like, I've had him. He has, like, one or two games where he's great, and then they're either splitting his work with Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson, mm-hmm. or they're not running at all, and letting Jared Goff to sink the entire team. I mean, yeah. Ty Gurley's been a killer. Yeah, yeah. Zach, why don't you go first? Yeah, I mean, you're already... Alan already knows how I feel about Jared Goff. Um, <laughs> and I really think... I really think um, the whole offense has suffered, you know, with the fact that he's kind of been figured out. And if his line is not, you know, top notch, it's really hard for him to, hit, you know, hit the open receiver. And that's 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 really taken away from from Todd Gurley's game because he's got no room to work. Yeah. So, so Goff was your zero. Oh, yeah. He's definitely a zero. Yeah. There's no <laughs> doubt. I don't know if he's my zero. I didn't have him any of my team, so I'm not that person. Yeah, but if you were to pick a general fantasy zero, you'd say he's him. Oh, yeah, he's on there for quarterbacks, 100%. Another zero, I mean, this is a guy who's had some big games, but it's just, for me, been one of the most frustrating players, and that's Stephon Diggs. Um, he's drove me absolutely crazy because he's one of those guys you play him for like three weeks in a row, he puts up single digits, and the one week you sit him, he'll put up 30. And yep. that there's nothing worse. Yep, I'm a Diggs owner. I can, I can relate to that. So, Alan, any other zeros you want to throw in the conversation? Yeah, he's. this is somebody who's still ranked in the top ten of his position, but Zach Ertz has really let me down. And that's Zach's a uh, diehard Eagles fan, so this is hurting no, him. No, I agree. I agree. Zach Ertz been was my keeper from a championship team, and I can no longer rely on him. And then there were even some games this week where I liked the matchup better and I started a different tight end over him, and you're not supposed to when it comes to Zach Ertz. It's supposed to be Ertz, Kittle, and Kelsey are the three irreplaceable ones. But Ertz, he has dropped from that top stratosphere this season, and it's hurt me incredibly. And the other zero I have is the guy who, who I said I drafted in the beginning of the second round, and that's Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, Ben going down hurt Juju tremendously because he's had no report with either of the quarterbacks. No, nah, and place. he's been battling nagging injuries. So he, he has. I'll throw one more out there. I don't think anyone's had them on their team, but boy, Alvin Kamara's been a massive disappointment fantasy wise this year. I know the injuries play a role in it, but like he has not yeah. really had that impact we thought he would once uh Mark Ingram left. There's like no chatter around the league about him right now. Yeah. And last year and the year before was all about Kamara. All about Kamara. And you know, yeah, like you like you alluded to Mike. The, everyone was talking about, oh, you know, Ingram's gone now. This opens an opportunity for Kamara, and instead, it seems like defenses have had the opportunity to key in more on Kamara, and you know, kind of limit what he does well, put their best defensive player on him the whole game, all that. So it's it's been troubling. Uh, but even even with that said, he's been good. But yeah, I mean, you expect him to put up those Christian McCaffrey numbers. He just hasn't. 
Yeah, I mean, he was in good. Not number two pick good, number no. one pick good. But he's been, like, a solid first-round running back. I would say that. Yeah, I mean, he's, like, low-tier RB1, but that's definitely not what you drafted him as. No. Yeah. No, you have not. Yeah, he's a great player. Don't get us wrong. This is purely disappointment based on his standing going into the season. Good here. Let's go to the playoffs right now. Week 14, unless you're in Allen's crazy 16-team league, you are <laughs> in the playoffs this week. So let's talk about some guys who are going to make some noise in the fantasy playoffs. Zach, what about the quarterback position? Who are some guys you have your eyes on think are going to be good in the fantasy playoffs? See, this is a, a very, you know, if you're in a kind of desperation mode. And Allen uh, – didn't like this pick uh, on our podcast when I brought it up, but I like Ryan Fitzpatrick heading into the end of the season. He's played really well. He says he feels better than he's ever felt. His receivers are coming to play. Devontae Parker's look like a stud. They have a, a not difficult schedule at all going down the stretch. Let me just read these teams off, and you tell me which one is the good one. The New York Giants, the New York Jets, and the Cincinnati Bengals. That's who he's got left. <laughs> I mean, it's n- it's nothing to write home about. So I like Ryan Fitzpatrick going down the stretch. You know, another under-the-radar quarterback I like. I like Kyle Allen down the stretch. He's got uh, Atlanta and Seattle the next two weeks. Neither pass defense is really any good. And he's just got so many weapons that, you know, there are games where his weapons are just going to take over and carry him. He's had 33-29 and 29 in the last game. So those are two quarterbacks I like. Al, you anybody to add? I, I have one to add, and that's somebody who's going to play, uh, I believe, two divisional games going forward, but I do like the matchups, and it's just somebody who I hate on him every year, and part of it's my NFC East bias, but this year he's been really good, and I really like the way he's playing, and that's Kirk Cousins. So I think yeah. if you have Cousins going forward, I think that'll be really nice to head into the playoffs with. Yeah, Cousins got some good matchups coming up. I like I like his chances there. Let's go to the running back position. Alan, you can start this time. So what running backs need to make some noise? You, if you have the hot hand, you got to keep playing them. And Derrick Henry is just a monster right now. If you have him going forward, I'd say you have maybe one of the best, most hungry options because the Titans are knocking on that door. They want to show something, and he will continue to play hard. And I think he is probably the best guy you could have right now. Zach, who you got running back? Okay, so I'm going to stay with the under-the-radar trend. These are guys that I think, you know, n- you might not be an automatic start, but if you're looking for a flex or an RB2, I think um, Raheem Mozart is someone who could potentially play a big role for the 49ers. You know, over the last couple of weeks, Temin Coleman's usage has dropped exponentially. He had only six touches last game. And Breida's been banged up. And if you know anything about Matt Breida, he's got a history of being banged up. Um, it's kind of his M.O. So as long as, you know, Breida's not healthy, I like Mozart as an RB2. Um, I don't think you can go wrong. And another one is Rashad Penny from Seattle. I think um, you could – or He's vulturing a bit. Yeah, he's vulturing a bit. But I think you could safely start him and Carson, like even if you have him on the same team. Because they run so much. And if they're splitting carries, there's a good chance both get a touchdown in most games. So. Absolutely. It's good, good, some good backs there to keep an eye on. Obviously, the stud in Derrick Henry, a couple of under-the-radar guys who might be available on the wire in your leagues. So. Yeah, one more I'll throw in there. Uh, Miles Sanders. Yeah. I also like coming down the stretch. Eagles I was have just going to say that. Yeah, Eagles have a light, super light schedule. And, hey, you know, hey, 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 hey. Oh, uh, they do. And, ha- <laughs> and Howard's been uh, 
banged up a little bit, so he's definitely someone to keep an eye on. I'm playing against Miles Sanders in one of my leagues. I hope you're wrong on I'd that be one. Worried. I am too, and I'm worried. I'll let you know. <laughs> I could totally, I'm a Giants fan. I could totally see him just like running all over us. Yeah, well, let's go to the receiver position next. Zach, what receivers do you like in the playoffs? So this is a guy that has frustrated the hell out of me all season, but I actually like Robert Woods coming into the playoffs. After you bash Goff? After I bash Goff. And, and it's kind of, that's kind of part of it. Um, you know, a trend with Woods is when their team is kind of struggling or their offense isn't, you know, at its best, it seems to be when Woods is thriving the most, when Cooper Cup, you know I mean, is getting the most attention. And they have Seattle, Dallas, and San Francisco coming up. And I think the Seattle and Dallas games are really good matchups for him, personally, because you saw what the secondary corners of Dallas are made of um, with Cole Beasley trying to cover him, couldn't do it. And, you know, Seattle's, like I said, Seattle's pass defense isn't very good. So I like Robert Woods and another guy I... I'm high, and this is just a gut feeling. This is definitely not, you know, something to bank on. But, you know, call me crazy, but I like Terry McLaurin coming down the stretch. He's, He's been got, singing his praises all season. I have, <laughs> and I, it's, and this is just for flex radar kind of stuff. But he's got Philly and the Giants coming up, and if you seeing the direction Washington's been trending. They've been getting a lot better every week. They I can't, I can't like second any Dwayne Haskins like target. I think it's just such a I risk hear right you. now. I hear you, but one thing that's gonna be available as Geis and Peterson have more success is the play out. The play action is gonna open up for them. So hopefully that comes in time for some like, prime playoff games. But yeah, that's just you know that's just some guys you're not maybe not necessarily thinking about that I I'm high on right now. I, I'm going with the guy I teased before, Marvin Jones. I think he's somebody that a lot of people like. You got some of your you know blind luck players that make the playoffs. They don't know who a Marvin Jones is, and you're throwing out a Marvin Jones. They're gonna be like, who just got 35 points on me? I don't even know who this guy is. He has that possibility, and uh, I know his quarterback situation's not the best, but it looked good enough against Chicago, so I think it'll be all right going forward. And and for any Galladay owners worrying, I think he'll be just fine as well. Yeah, I, I like that as well. One guy throw I think is intriguing to me just because I know I love the offense he's in, but he is a little boomer bust. Hollywood Brown on the Ravens. That's another Zach guy. Yeah. Zach has yeah. been singing McLaurin and Hollywood Brown all year. Yeah, I like I like uh, Brown as a receiver more than I like him as a fantasy receiver. But the thing about Brown is they use him in the red zone a lot more than you'd think they use a small guy like that yeah, in he's the red tiny. zone. So, you know – he always has a possibility to pile up two touchdowns in a game because yeah. of that. Yeah, I have Hollywood Brown in one of my leagues, and he's been either like – I know he's one of those guys who gets either four or like 25. Yep, and very hit or miss. This week is going to be a little tricky because he, ha- he might get Tredavious with the Bills because he's their best weapon. But, I mean, the Jets week 15, who can't cover anybody, he might run right down the field, score a couple of touchdowns on that Thursday. I would not be surprised, especially without Jamal Adams. Yeah, that's a big loss for them. That's a big loss. We'll go last. We'll go to the tight end position. Each guys give me one guy who you think of the tight end position could be a guy who could cross out in the playoffs. Want to go first down? Uh, I'm going to go with someone who I think push is coming to shove for this team, and I think if they don't start winning games, it's going to be a disaster, and I think the best way for them to do that is stick with Old Faithful. I'm going with Jason Witten. 
from here on out. I think he's wow. going to be Dex go to the next couple weeks as they scratch and claw to keep relevant in this league. I like that. He had a Witten had a good game last week, kind of a resurgence for him. My tight end that I think is going to have a great playoffs, and I'm very conflicted on whether to play this tight end as my flex. Um, Ooh. Yes, he's on my flex radar. It's it's going to come down to the next hour. We'll see what happens. But I like Mike Gusecki, um from the Dolphins a lot for a lot of the same reasons I like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, he's got a super light schedule. They're playing really well. They're trying to win now as opposed to the beginning of the year, so that's always good. Their defense is bad. They're going to be throwing. And over the last two games, he's scored a touchdown. He's had the last game he had five receptions for 79 yards. He's got the Jets and Giants coming up, and the last time he played the Jets, he had six for 95 yards. So I like that matchup with the Jets, and I think Mike Gusecki's a very underrated tight end. I think if he was on the team like the Patriots, everyone would be singing his praises, but he's on the Dolphins. so Yeah, those two are good. One I'll throw out there, he's been heating up a little bit of late, Jared Cook on the Saints. Oh, yeah. Drew, always love one. Jared Cook. Because Drew Brees has rapport with him right now. Always reliable. Michael Thomas is – as somebody else in the cast pass besides him, Jared Cook has gotten a double days each of the last three weeks. I picked him up when George Kittle was hurt. So Yeah, and it yeah, seems like he's, he's up, always yeah. good for a touchdown, it seems. You know, it's like right when you need it, Jared, there's Jared Cook with I think touchdown. people forget that I I saw it. When he was leaving Oakland, people were like, this guy's really good. And he signed with the Saints, and he kind of disappeared, but he's still really talented. Yeah, like, and his uptick came right when Drew Brees came back. Because he, yeah. he was not getting much share when Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback. Yeah, no, him and, him and Brees have a— a definite connection. It's only it's, gonna get better next year too. I honestly, if I had Jared Cook, I would be very tempted to play him in my flex. If you have a, you know, what I mean, if you have another tight end and you have him sitting on the bench, I think he's that. He's he needs to be in your lineup almost. Yeah, I'm putting him in my lineup as because he's in too hot. I can't I can't bench him. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing, and it's it it wears when you watch the Saints. He's ingrained into their offense. You know what I mean? Like you yep. know he's gonna get his looks. Now whether the other team's able to shut him down, that's another that's another question entirely. But yeah, I, one receiver like that who has been so hot on my bench, but I'm never. It's kind of the opposite. I'm so tempted to play him, but I just can never pull the trigger. Is Cole Beasley? Oh yeah. man, yeah, he's been great. Too. Yeah, but I've he's never been, started him. That's yeah. an, that's another under the radar wide receiver, Cole Beasley. I think if you have Cole Beasley. And I, I just watched in my – I had a bye this week, so I was looking at all the other playoff teams, all the other peasants uh, <laughs> vying for a playoff spot. But um, I saw someone sit uh, Cole Beasley, and the the person he played in the flex, I don't remember off top, but it wasn't anyone – you know, it wasn't anyone special. I honestly think if you have Cole Beasley, he's an automatically, automatic flex start. Yeah, I'd play him if I was me. Automatic flex yeah, start. Yeah, I, I have him. Again, my game means nothing, but I might just throw him out there out of like, sure. you earned it. Why yeah. not? Yeah. You earned, you earned your stripes, kid. You're I mean, he, he, Absolutely. he's good. Like, I think some of the stuff that gets lost with him was when he was in Dallas, they didn't really utilize him to the utmost of his abilities. Buffalo's really only started doing it the last, like, seven weeks. I don't yeah. know. Uh, he's been it, – it's crazy, but Cole Beasley, if you had Cole Beasley starting in your flex all year, you've probably been pretty good. I've been kind of keeping tabs on him. And he, it's, it's not every week greatness, but he's got seven games of over 14 points. Yeah, it's great. So, I mean, that's like half the season right there. He's, he's, and he got 24-18 in the last two games, so... Yeah. Someone to look at. Absolutely. And obviously, the other key ingredient in the fantasy playoffs, the defense is because you can pick the right defense to stream. You can win some leagues. So, Alan, who you have on your mind as a defense you want to target this week? 
This week, I actually like, and, and it can be considered a trap game by some, but I actually like the Texans against the Broncos. Uh, people are riding the Drew Locke train. Like, why? I don't know. Why, why are you getting on that on board? I think the Texans are going to completely shut them down this week, and I really like that defense. Week 15, if people are lucky enough to get there, I like, I like the Jags defense against the Raiders, and these are supposedly defenses you were able to stream, yeah. and the Saints against the Colts. Zach, who you like? Nice. I like those picks. Just one, just one little tidbit about Jacksonville. Um, I know there's a lot you know of. About, well, no, Miles yeah, Jack Miles Jack just went down. So when I wrote so that this morning, oh, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Because even still, even still, they're, they're they still got Josh Allen, and the Raiders are inept on offense. Right, right and and their pass their pass rushing is still on an elite level. This the rest of the defense that's been a problem. Yeah. Um, some defenses I like. This one might throw some people. I like the Buccaneers going down the stretch. Um. If you've seen the way they've played the last couple weeks, they've really taken some big steps. They have Bruce Arian, who's predominantly defensive coach. You have Todd Bowles, who's a really good defensive coordinator. And it seems that, you know, their, their I guess, impact, you could say, is being seen throughout the defense. And they have um, the Colts coming up with no T.Y. Hilton and a banged-up uh, Marlon Mack. So, and even so... Their strength is Marlon Mack, and the Buccaneers' run defense is top tier. So I like them, and I like the Browns against um, – I forgot what they play. Oh, they got the Cincinnati Bra- this yes, week. Yes, they got Cincinnati this week. Um, Andy Dalton's back at the helm. I don't know how hard they're going to be trying to win this game, really. Um, and the Browns really need this game to stay alive. So Freddie Kitchens needs this game. <laughs> Freddie Kitchens, yeah. Freddie Kitchens needs, definitely needs this game more than anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I will give – as far as Allen's point on the Jags defense, one of our regular contributors on that podcast is a big Jaguar fan, so I will mention to her that you count, you chipped in the Jag love. Absolutely. Why not? All right. Let's go rapid fire here. We'll go bust real quick. Guys okay. who might bust in the playoffs. Zach, quarterback bust. Quarterback bust. Call me crazy, but I'm scared for Patrick Mahomes. Interesting. I am. He's got he's got New England coming up, and then his match. He's got the Chargers. And the Bears. And the Bears. Chargers have um, their star safety back, Derwin James. So it's it's if anyone can do it, it's him. But I, as a Mahomes, you know, owner of fantasy, am not feeling great. Uh, I'm gonna go with rookie fatigue for Kyler Murray. I think he's gonna bust out the rest of the way. And if we're just gonna segue to running backs, my bust for fantasy will be Josh Jacobs. Now he is a phenomenal player who's having a great rookie season. But I think the Raiders are just in shambles. And I think he, the longer the season goes on for rookies, the more tired they get, and the the more they just kind of get binged up and sit. So I just think with Kyler and Josh, it's it's best to be weary of them going forward. Yeah, as far as running back bus, I'm kind of worried about Nick Chubb um, just because Kareem Hunt seems to be kind of working his way into the offense more and more every game. And besides Cincinnati, I don't really like their matchups going forward. So I could, I wouldn't be surprised if you see more of the 9-10 point performances than the 25-30 point performances he's putting up earlier. Yeah, I, I can agree with those two. One I'll throw in there, and this is a guy who also, I mean, he could have mentioned him as the LVP segment in the zeros. Le'Veon Bell with the Jets because Adam Gase oh, hates yeah. his guts and will not use him enough. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so weird. It, I, you know, and it's something I noticed from the very start of the season. I actually drafted Le'Veon Bell in one of my leagues and pulled off one of the great heists in fantasy football history. Let me just tell you quickly about this trade. I traded Le'Veon Bell, John Ross, uh, Deshaun Jackson 
and this is like week two, and it was one more player. Oh, Matt Breida for uh, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, and the last river. Sterling Shepard. No, I don't. I don't think it was even someone I still have in my roster. I mean, it's but a it heist doesn't matter. As is, yeah. It doesn't matter. That's a heist. Yeah, it, one of the all-time fantasy heists. Um, so, but the reason, the the moral of the story being, ever since the beginning of the the year, you could see that Adam Gaze did not know how to use Le'Veon Bell at all. Which is funny because it seems like Gaze doesn't know how to use anybody. And he's supposed to be this great quarterback whisperer, but everyone plays worse under him. He just so doesn't, it doesn't make any yeah, sense. He just doesn't like running backs. He does not. It's so frustrating. It's weird because <laughs> it's like he's had great ones. Kenyon Drake, who's exploded in you Arizona. know Arizona, and then yeah, now he, Le'Veon Bell. He's a he's bad pro- coach. <laughs> Absolutely. He's a really bad coach. And I could call my soapbox and give him how he refused to run against the Bengals and they have the worst run defense in the league. But we'll move on real quick. Allen, <laughs> receiver bust. Cooper Cup. Every week, people hope for big things out of Cooper Cup, and every week you scratch your head as to wondering what happened. For me, it's DJ Chark. Um, the co- and it's mostly not because of him, but he has some back issues right now, and that's really tough as a receiver to get by. And it's just the quarterback situation is not – it's very fluid there. You know, I don't feel good about it. So I have to say Neither DJ do Chark. they. No, <laughs> All right. not. Last but not least, the tight end position. Zach, who is your bus tight end? Hmm. I mean, is it too easy to, to take Ertz? Yeah, I don't think it's too easy. I mean, it's, for me, it's Ertz because mostly— Everyone rosters him, so it makes sense. Yeah. It's, outside of that, um, I don't know. I think the tight end position is actually in a really good place this year as opposed to other years. So I can't really see any busts but besides Ertz, honestly. I'm just going to stick with Goff, Gerald Everett. Uh, if you have him and you're hoping for big things, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get my hopes too high. Yeah, the one I'm worried about, and I have him, is, is uh, George Kittle, just because he's been playing through the injury, and they're so inconsistent with the tight end usage, because there was a, I mean, he was a big factor because the Packers, the Ravens, he was not involved at all, and they have some tricky games coming up, so I'm worried about Kittle. I'm worried about that offense. I think, I don't think they're ready. Like, I think the team's very good, and their defense has been second to none, but Jimmy G's still not this top like level elite quarterback I'm I actually don't think they're going to get too far into the postseason unless the defense is just like wiping the floor with whoever they're playing I honestly see Jimmy Garoppolo in a very similar tier to Jared Goff I think they are very which isn't saying a lot no I think they're very mid-tier quarterbacks um I like for me a 10 and 2 team no one's talking about their yeah I guess I guess this is just this is easy to say because you know We'll never know. But I think if you put Kyler Murray on the 49ers, I think they'd be an exponentially better offense. Well, yeah, if you put a better quarterback and a better— I mean, yeah, but I'm saying, like, but if you put, like, Josh Allen— Like, there's a bunch of guys that I would personally think you put, could put on that offense and they'd be better. It'd be— it'd be Because ex- they got— Yeah. I, a guy that, you know, I was really high on all year and still might be a factor, but Debo Samuel is a really good receiver. Yeah. And the fact that you have him and Sanders and you can't find a way to, to keep them involved— And Kittle. And Kittle, like these, these are like, if not elite dream, options. If Tom Brady had these options, yeah, it, it, it's it trouble. It's troubling that they can't keep them involved. That that bothers me. All right, there you have it. Our fantasy football playoff preview. Alan and Zach, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you guys want to let everyone know how to follow you on social media and how to keep up with your podcast? I'll go with you first, Alan. Um, our podcast is on everything, is it not, Zach, or is it just SoundCloud right now? I think it's just SoundCloud, just SoundCloud right SoundCloud. now, soon to be. And that's Fantasy World. On all streams. Uh, without, how do you spell it, Zach? It's spell just it. uh, Fantasy World spelled 
just like you'd spell fantasy or world. There you go. And if you can't, well, God yeah. bless you. Google, um, um, Google it. Uh, my, I have a, another podcast, Touching Base, with Alan and Eric. That's a baseball podcast. I do this one with Zach. And, uh, yeah, you just search those on, online and you'll find us. Yeah, if people walk you off, you on Twitter, Alan. Do you have a Twitter handle you want them to follow? I I have a Twitter. I am not very active on it. I should probably get better at it. So why don't I just tell you? It's at Alan, A-L-L-E-N underscore Pines, P-I-N-E-S. Zach, how about you? Any social media handles you want to give out? Yes. You could follow me on Twitter and get all my unfiltered sports <laughs> opinions at R-I-P underscore Z-E. R-I-P-Z-E. There you go. Thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mike. No problem. Anytime. All right. That was Alan Pine and Zach Cohn Douglas of the Fantasy World Podcast with your Fantasy Football Playoff Preview. Up next, show me the money. NFL picks for week number 14 right after this. Show me the money. That's right. Show me the money. NFL picks for week number 14 are here. Joining me in the studio today to do some NFL picks, one of my good friends, a fellow Iona alum, Nick Frietta is here. Nick, welcome. How are you? Good. It's good to be here, Mike. This is actually my first time on campus in almost five years. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, man. It's been a lot of change since you came here. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was here, the diner was still here. (laughs) We had a bunch of the diner one time. We did. We did. Also, our good friend, Mike Brescia. Yep, and I believe Steve was there as well, Coltso. Yeah, that was just, that was quite the crew. Yeah, got a little Yorktown Iona crew going there. Yeah, so we got a Yorktown Iona crew. You're here to do some picks today, but you have not been on before, so let the people know, who are you a fan of football-wise? I am a fan of the New York football giants. So how did that happen? Why a Giants fan? Actually, um, for most people grow up and they become a fan of the team that their father is or their family, whatever. I'm not sure. Is that the case with you? Yeah, that's about the case for me. So... With my family, my father actually didn't watch football, so he's actually a, he's a Jets fan, but he doesn't really watch. So we would go over to a friend's house, you know, a lot, me and my brother, who's been on the show before, and they were Giant fans, and we would just watch the games with them, and then next thing you know, we became Giant fans. So actually, it didn't come from our father, it just came from another family. What was the biggest problem with the Packers game? The biggest problem with that game in particular is it's the same thing it's been all season. It's just a lack of talent. They don't have players. If I... I can go out and name every position on the team and say that whether they need an upgrade or not. And if I do that, it's probably going to be like 17 or 18 out of 22 players need to get better for the Giants to be better. They're just bad. You have a lot of Giant fans saying, well, we just need a line or we just need a defense. That's 11 players. You just need a line. That's five players. That's 16 new players you need. That's not a just need this or just need that. That's you're a bad team. That's not like the Patriots saying, we just need a wide receiver to help Tom Brady Exactly, out. yeah. Like the Cowboys, we just needed a running back. We got Ezekiel Elliott. You know, this is a lot different. This is, we just need pretty much th- three quarters of a team. 10-35 and 35 since taking the field in the playoff game. That was the Odell Beckham, the boat, that whole mess disaster. And who do you feel right now is the most responsible for the Giants being where they are right now? I'm going to go with ownership with John Mara and, and the Tisch family, and that's because... You have a season like you did in 2017, which was, you know, they had some bad seasons beforehand in 13 and 14 and 15. They were either 6 and 10, 7 and 9 in all those years. They had a nice season in 16, they did. And then 17, you have that disaster of a season. And they went, they did the right thing. They fired Ben McAdoo. They fired Jerry Reese. 
within a week of each other, I believe. It might have been a few days even. They did the right thing. And then they went and they hired Dave Gettleman. And as any fan would, would I, I would say, all right, I recognize this name. He was the GM of the Panthers. What was, what's his background? They look him up. The guy's Jerry Reese's assistant for 12 years. How do you fire your GM and then bring in his assistant? You're trying to change the way that change the way this franchise is run and you do, you're getting more of the same. So it does it just doesn't make sense as a move. Yeah, and Gettleman, I mean, he's made a lot of questionable decisions as a GM. I mean, going back to the to that 2018 draft when he passed out of four quarterbacks to take uh, Saquon Barkley and then this year taking Daniel Jones at 6. I, mean, I was a huge hater of the Barkley pick then, I still am now, and I think the biggest mistake of that pick was they had the option to pick Quentin Nelson, and I think that would have been He's, he's got to be, if not the best, a top three NFL offensive lineman now. And this guy's in his second year. Yeah. They could have had him. They could have traded down. They could have had other picks. They could have done exactly what the Colts did. And it could have been the Giants. Now, th- that wouldn't have fixed the problem. They wouldn't be a 13-3 and team with just Quinn Nelson, but they'd be much better. Yeah. They'd be in a much better position. I mean, Saquon Barkley is a generational talent. He's great. But the fact of the matter is... He's a running back. He relies on other players to do well. And when they don't have those other players, you're wasting his talent. Yeah, just ask Le'Veon Bell at the Jets right now. Exactly. It's it's really unfortunate the Giants is going on with them. But they are trying to take snap the skid, taking on the Eagles on Monday night, who have lost three in a row, including a disaster to the Dolphins where the kicker catch a touchdown from the punter. And thanks to this Daniel Jones injury, Eli Manning is back under center. So... What do you think is going to happen on Monday now that the old reliable is back under the under center? I, I think we're just going to see the same thing. I, I really think um, I think Eli is a little bit better in a way that he can probably recognize blitzes better, recognize coverages better, make audibles at the line better. But with with the talent, I mean, Jones has more talent than Eli at this point, and he, he just he he's a better quarterback at this point, uh, you know, physically rather than the mental things that Eli does better, but. I think you're going to see more of the same. The spreads, I believe, nine, maybe nine and a half right in this around, game. Right around there. And that's what it should be. Yep. I can see the Eagles winning by a score, maybe 10 points. I wouldn't take that bet, but I think that's how it's going to end up being. Yeah, it's interesting with Eli, too, because it's sort of his, now he gets his opportunity to have sort of his little good, goodbye tour here because Daniel Jones, the, the high ankle sprain, I mean, I figure they'll be very cautious him because they're dead and buried, and they're not going to rush him back to get him hurt again. Yeah, you know, actually, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that Jones doesn't play the rest of the season, and Eli's going to take over, and that's why I wanted to ask you a question, actually. Sure. I want to ask you, what do you think, from an organizational standpoint, the worst-case scenario for the Giants is out of these two options? If they bring in Eli Manning and he does absolutely terrible and goes 2-14, and 14, the Giants look like a disaster. They can't figure out who's right. They gave this guy a vow of confidence in the offseason. They bench him after two weeks. He comes back in. He's a disaster. They, they've lost. At that point, it would be 12 in a row. Or, option B, he goes on a streak, goes 6-10, and 10, and then they look like idiots for benching him. What's a worse scenario for the Giants, going 2-14 and 14 or going 6-10? and 10? I think 2-14 and 14 is worse, to be honest with you, just because you, I, you had to put the quarterback in there at some point. You did not I draft agree, Daniel yeah. Jones to not play him. And completely you were 0-2. He gave you a spark right at the beginning there, and... The lumps he's taking now will be good for will be good for him. And like what happened with Sam Darnold last year, maybe time on the sideline and say, you know what, he'll sit, sit and be able to watch Eli and say, oh, this is how Eli reads the situation. I'm not seeing this. So maybe that helps him down the road. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the narrative in the NFL that sitting helps a quarterback in the future is, has been proven wrong time after time. 
you know, it, 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 getting out there and playing is the best experience you can get. Yeah, because you can watch all the film you want. You can see all the stuff on, like on film and say, oh, the safety's coming from here. But until you see it with your own eyes, when a safety's doing it to you, you're not going to be able to recognize it. That's right. And and there's you can still watch the game tape even though you played. You yep. can play and watch the tape as opposed to not playing and watching the tape. That's a great point. But well, enough with the Giants for now. I think I think you've probably gotten enough frustration out of the Giants this year. Yeah, there's there's not much more they can do. I think if they can somehow please fire Dave Gettleman, I think we have a chance. But I don't. If I had to take a prediction, I think they're going to fire Pat Shermer. I think they're going to bring in Ron Rivera. I think we're going to see more of the same for the next couple of years. Yeah, I could see Ron Rivera fitting that bill because he's worked with Gettleman. They went to the Super Bowl together in Carolina. It could be an easy giant sell saying, hey, look, these guys got the Panthers Super Bowl. We have a mobile quarterback as well. We'll make it happen. Exactly. But let's um, let's please talk about some happy things, talk about some picks. Absolutely. Let's get to the picks right now. So, anyway, my friend Joe D'Aloisio, our football expert on this podcast, was here last week doing the NFL picks. He went 1-2 and two on the week. He had the Steelers getting points at home, two and a half against the Browns. They won that game outright. That was nice for him. He had the Colts laying two and a half at home against the Titans, lost there. And that was a weird game, that game, I feel like. I mean, yeah, they, the Titans are always a weird team. Every game they play is weird and boring, and I can barely watch them. It's, you don't know if they're terrible or amazing some weeks. It, they're the definition of an eight and eight nine, team, yeah. nine and seven. If you're better than them, you're good. If you're worse than them, you're bad. Yeah. And the Colts guy move on Matt Vinatieri. He's been such a disaster this year. Yeah, it's really a shame, too, considering the career he's had. It's, you know, I guess they have no other option, or they would have done it by now, but it's just a shame to see that happen to somebody. Yeah, and the last pick he made, he had the Jaguars laying a point at home against the Buccaneers. That did not go very well. Nick Foles gets benched for Gardner Minshew, so 1-2 and two on the week for Joe. Yeah, I would have took that pick, too, with the Jaguars going back, but looking at it now, looks like the Bucks are – finally doing what people thought they would with Todd Bowles taking over that defense. Yeah. And good for them. Yeah. I, on the other hand, I did not have a very good week. I went 0-3. I've, I've heard that before. Yeah, not a good week. I had the Eagles last week laying the 9.5 points against the Miami Dolphins. We know how that went. That was not great. Yeah, punters throwing to kickers. That's nothing you can do about that. Nothing I can do about that. I thought the Raiders would be competitive last year. I, I took the nine and a half points with them against the Chiefs. They got ran right off the field for the second week in a row. Yeah, the Chiefs are looking like they're back. The Chiefs are looking like they're back. Yeah, I yeah. think they're really underrated this year. They have, I believe, four losses, and people are treating them like a seven and four or whatever team when they're really they're not. They're better than that, and they're gonna sh- they're gonna turn some heads in the playoffs. Yep. And the last one, the one that I was very stupid for taking, but I bought the hype train. I took the Jets with the three and a half points against the Bengals last week. I, what the hell's going on out here? I, I, I'm still in shock about that one. I mean, the Bengals. Again, I think this warrants another one. What the hell's going on out here? Twice this year, they lose to teams that are 0-7 or worse. I, I believe they're the only team to ever do that. Yeah, they are. And another fun fact, I mentioned this at the top of the podcast. You know that they have been favored in three games this this year. Before this week against Miami, they're favored as well. They have not only failed to cover all three games, they've lost outright each of the times they've been favored. It was Buffalo week one when they blew the 16-0 lead. It was the first mall Miami game and the Bengal game. There's no explanation. It really isn't. It's just... Uh, it's mean, Adam Gates the bad coach. That's the explanation. Yeah. yeah. You can see that when you're taking, when your quarterback taking strides backwards. Yeah. That, that's exactly what, you, what it has to be is coaching. All right. So to reset the pick challenge on the year, Teen Challengers is 18-20-1. There's one push in there, courtesy of your brother with the Bills a couple weeks ago. 
Is that the Browns? Yep. Bills Browns. Phil's responsible for the one push on, on the uh, board for either team here. I am 21 and 18, so it's a tight race, but we are going to make some picks for this week. Nick, you are going to be up first, so where are you going with your first pick? My first pick, I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills at home, getting five and a half points against the Baltimore Ravens. And I'm taking that one simply because the Bills have had 10 days to prepare for Lamar Jackson. They haven't played since Thanksgiving, and they played a tremendously impressive game on Thanksgiving afternoon. And I think that 10 days is going to do wonders for them preparing. Yeah, I like that pick from there from you with the Bills. Because the Bills are getting slept on right now in terms of their ability to be competitive. I feel like they are a team that just, you know, they are not sexy in terms of they like, don't make big plays on offense. They aren't super dominant on defense, aside from like Tredavious White. But they will be in that football game. And you're getting more than a field goal. I think it's plenty of points for you. Yep, yep. Where are you going with your next pick? My next pick, I'm taking New Orleans at home, laying two and a half, or is it three? Uh, we'll go with three. Okay, three to San Francisco. I'm taking this one for the exact opposite reason. San Francisco had to go and play Lamar Jackson last week. They only have seven days to turn around and go right into New Orleans and play Drew Brees. The defense is phenomenal, don't get me wrong. I just don't think that they had enough time to prepare after putting all that time into a Lamar Jackson offense to turn right around and go after a Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas offense. Yeah, it's an interesting pick on your part. This is sort of a similar game to what happened a year ago at the Saints. So they had the Rams coming in there when they were both undefeated. Or I think the Rams were undefeated. The Saints had one loss. The Saints beat them in the dome and got home field. I could see something similar happening here. And again, it's only a field goal. So it's a very manageable number there. Yep, yep. Now my last pick, I'm taking Seattle minus one and a half going to L.A. Again, against the Rams on Sunday Night Football. That's right. Yep, I'm taking that one. I think the Rams put up a great matchup last week against the Cardinals, but that's not Jared Goff. That's against the Cardinals defense that that is comparable with the Giants defense. I mean, the Seahawks are going to go in there and show them that you don't belong to be in a one, one-and-a-half point spread. This would be a touchdown spread. We're about, they're a much better team. The Rams look lost. No blames on Sean McVay, and I'm a little surprised by that because his offense was unstoppable last year, two years ago, and now it's it's barely competitive. Yeah. So you can blame the players mostly, absolutely, but I think some blame needs to be put on McVay here. He, yeah, I, I think you're right about that, and that was one that popped at me when I saw the lines. I'm like, how is this so close? We just watched Seattle dominate Minnesota on Monday night. Yeah, and the Vikings are a great team, and the Vikings are the Vikings can finish season 12-4 and four and miss out on the division title. But Yeah. That's for sure. Those are Nick's picks are on the board. I'm up right now. Pick number one. I'm taking an underdog right here. I am taking the Cincinnati Bengals, getting eight and a half points in Cleveland against the Browns. And I look at this number, I'm saying, in what world do the Cleveland Browns deserve to be favored by eight and a half points over anybody? I mean, the Bengals have been competitive even before they beat the Jets. Their last couple of games, they've been within a touchdown or less. They have about six or seven games here where they've been within seven points of a team. And the Browns are dysfunctional. The Browns are a mess. I know they're home, but eight and a half is a massive number, and this is a rivalry game. Give me the Bengals and all those points. Yeah, I, I, mean, I agree with you on that one. I mean, I think the Browns will win that game. I do, but that's way too much. You're getting more than a touchdown. I think a field goal's fair there. I mean, Browns play better at home, absolutely. Bengals, bad team, absolutely, but the Browns are not much better. No, eight and a half is just way too big. I, I saw that. I'm like, that's, I'm going there immediately if you don't take that one. Agreed. Right, pick number two. I am going to... The, one of the big games of the week. I'm taking the Kansas City Chiefs, getting three points in Foxborough against the Patriots. This is really an indictment of the Patriot offense. This team cannot score points. We saw it Sunday night in Houston. Tom Brady was screaming his receivers on the sideline to get open, and aside from Julian Edelman, they cannot. And that's a problem against the Chief team that has a lot of weapons, put a lot of points up, 
the Pat team has been a bit more mortal of lately. Saw DeAndre Hopkins had his way with Stephon Gilmore on Sunday night, and I think the trend continues. I think the Chiefs win this game outright, and they get their revenge for the two losses last year. So give me the Chiefs getting the three in New England pick two. I think the Pats are going to win that game. I think this is what happens to the Patriots. Seems like every year they have some sort of game, whether it's week four, week nine, in this case week 13. They just don't look good. People start talking. Is it over? Is Tom Brady bad? Is the Belichick era over? And they come right back the next week and they and they dominate. And I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think they're going to dominate the game, but they're going to play dominant offense again. I think you're going to see the Pats, the Pats of old. All right, that's pick number two for me. Pick number three, I'm going with the Steelers laying two and a half in the desert against the Cardinals. I think this is a case that, hey, first of all, Mike Thomas will be coach of the year. He's been outstanding dealing this team without his three best offensive players in Ben Roethlisberger, James Conner, and Juju Smith-Schuster for most of the year. Arizona also a team that I think, like you said before, they're going to pack it in. They are not really going to be a factor down the stretch here. They're going to kind of just wilt going down the stretch. And Pittsburgh's defense is great. I'm only getting two and a half points. I can win with a field goal on the road. That's all. That's great for me. And the Steelers need this game. Give me Pittsburgh minus two and a half in Arizona pick three. I love the pick. I think Pittsburgh, as I agree with you 100%. Mike Tomlin should be definitely in the conversation for coach of the year this year. And Pittsburgh, the seven and five team. Those five losses, New England, Seattle, San Francisco, Baltimore, Baltimore, and at and at Cleveland. It's not an, even though the Browns are not very good. It's not hard to win a division game. It's not easy rather to win a division game on the road. I think the Steelers team, and also a lot of those losses, the, the Seahawks by two points, the 49ers by four points, the Ravens by three points. They're in. They could be. They could easily be a ten and two team. Yes, with, with this, with the injuries they have and the and the quote unquote lack of talent. This is a good team. Yeah, with Duck Hodge the quarterback. No yeah. Less. And so to reset the picks, Nick has got the Seahawks laying a point and a half against the Rams on Sunday Night Football in L.A. The Saints laying three points at home against the 49ers in the game of the week. And the Bills getting five and a half against the Baltimore Ravens on the like actually coming to Buffalo there. My picks, I'm taking the Bengals getting all the eight and a half of those points against the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. The Chiefs getting three points in Foxborough against the Patriots and the Steelers laying two and a half points in Arizona against the Cardinals. And those are your picks for week 14. Next week, picks guest will be a new another new voice of the podcast, Kevin Walsh Jr. from the a bunch of the fantasy radio networks, including Sports Grid. He will be calling in next week to do the picks. So, Nick, thanks for all the time. Before I let you go, you're also a Yankee fan. That's right. What do you think the Yankees are going to do at the winter meetings next week? I am going to go on a limb, and a lot of people disagree with me on this one. I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to sign Garrett Cole. I know they met with him today. You are convinced it's happening next week. I actually think it's going to happen. I know a lot of fans don't think so, and a lot of people are going to disagree with me. I actually think they're going to sign him. I think they've realized in the past season that if they made a big move last maybe not necessarily last year, but if they make a big move, if they had made a big move in the last couple of years, they would have won. I think they're close enough to win where one big move is going to put them over the hump. It seems very similar to the 08 offseason where they brought in Sabathia and Burnett and Teixeira were well a little different in that those are three pieces but I feel like they're one piece away they bring in that one piece and I think they're going to be the favorites to win it all yeah I could see that happening I love what happened next week because Garrett Cole is kind of hinting he wants to sign in January but again maybe you throw the right number out there it happens yeah there's a lot of talk about the Angels and the West Coast and this is that and, and where he prefer to play but let's get real I mean green talks if they give him the money he's going to play here unless unless you know unless it's Unless the Angels give him a comparable amount of money and he really wants to play there and it's for $1 million less, similar to what Wheeler did. Wheeler yeah. went to Philly, 
Chicago offered him $2 million more, yeah. but he wanted to play in Philly. I mean, that's not a big difference in money. And, Nick, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, that was Nick Friday with your NFL picks. Up next, this week's two-minute drill, where I recap the wild week it was to be a Met fan right after this. I think the first thing you look at, I mean, I'd march into the, the ownership's office and explain why it's necessary to go over the luxury tax. Because this is, you're in a position where you're right there on the fringe of playoff contention. There's a lot of money that's coming off the payroll after 2020 with Joanna Suspides, with David Wright, who's still on the luxury tax payroll, with Wilson Ramos and Marcus Stroman and Justin Wilson. There's opportunities to, to make a signing this year that might put you over the luxury tax for one year, but you get back under next year and beyond. So I would, I would be aggressive that way. All right, we are back with this week's two-minute drill. You just heard the voice of the Athletics, Tim Britton, speaking on this podcast a couple of weeks ago about what he would do if he was in charge of the Mets offseason. He suggests they should spend more money, but as of right now, the plan is not to do that. Earlier this week, uh, baseball reporter John Hamm put on Twitter that the Mets are not planning to go over that luxury tax. Their budget is limited, and... They do not want to spend the money to go over the luxury tax, which is infuriating just because this team last year won 86 games. They have clear needs, but the Mets did not want to go over that luxury tax, spend the extra money necessary to get some big-time impact players to fill those needs. Instead, seeming content to hope that, you know, with a few modest tweaks and a better bullpen performance from guys like Jerry Familia and Edwin Diaz that, that will be enough to get from the 86 they are sitting at right now to 93 and make the postseason. I have a few problems with this mindset. Number one, you cannot guarantee that everything that went right for you last year is going to happen again in 2020. Can you sit here today and tell me for sure Pete Alonso could have another 53 home run season? If he regresses to say 35, that's 18 less home runs. Are you going to tell me that Jacob DeGrom put up a third straight Cy Young Award winning campaign? Can you guarantee me that? Can you tell me that Jeff McNeil is going to be fighting for the batting title half the year and the other half of the year hitting 16 home runs down the stretch? You can't. It's typical mess to say, you know what? Everything that happened last year that was good is going to happen again. But will be better because Edwin Diaz and Jerry Smith cannot possibly be as bad as they were in 2019. That's a terrible mentality, and it's reflected on the fact that they just made a massive mistake trying to build this team by letting Zach Wheeler walk to the Phillies. Zach Wheeler, in case you missed it, in case you have been under a rock for the last day or two, he is no longer in Queens. He's in Philadelphia. Five years, $118 million. Is it an overpay? Probably. Wheeler has been a good pitcher, possibly ascending, but the fact that Mets did not even make an offer to him is mind-boggling. They watched him blossom the last two years in terms of becoming a guy who might be on the verge of breaking out to one of the best pitchers of the game. They did this before with Daniel Murphy. Remember, Daniel Murphy has that big postseason run for the Mets in 2015, homering every day, a strong second half. The Mets... Gave him the qualifying offer and made no attempt to bring him back. What happens next? He goes to the Nationals, becomes an MVP candidate. The Mets have been haunted by that for years. There's a lot of potential that Zach Wheeler is the same thing for the Mets in terms of just 
burning them with the Phillies, becoming an ace, and haunting their dreams for the next like five to ten, next five years. That's generally terrifying, and the fact they did not make an offer is very discouraging. Very, very upsetting. That's one problem. The other problem is this theory that's been floated out by people like Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, who said that, you know what? The Mets are still trying to clear bad money. They are willing to shop guys like J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith in order to clear the bad contracts of Jed Lowry and Jerry Samelia. I'm sorry. Is this the New York Mets or the Kansas City Royals? Are we at the point where, you know what, we are going to trade a good young player who can be an asset for you in J.D. Davis and Donald Smith? I know they don't fit the roster perfectly. I know they don't. But can you sit here and tell me that the best use of their ability is to use them to free up money for Jed Lowry and Dominic's and uh, not Dominic, Jerry's family in the short term? That's the best you can do with them? These are guys who are valuable bench pieces who make no money. These are guys who can start for you if guys like, I don't know, Jeff McNeil gets hurt. If Alonzo gets hurt, Dom can fill in at first for a little bit. They can play left field if you need them to. They could also be used to trade for something that you could use. I'm not saying the Josh Hader trade. I know that's out there. The Mets are toying with the Josh Hader market, but I would not do that. That is a disaster waiting to happen because this is basically the same exact trade that they made last year with Edwin Diaz. The Brewers probably throw a contract in, say Ryan Braun's contract, and get a good young player back like J.D., Get take one deal back in Lowry, and get some prospects in there. The Mets did this last year, and it blew up in their faces. Should they try that again? No. Would you use Dom or J.D. for something else you could use? Maybe a Maybe you send Dom to the Tigers or Matthew Boyd. Maybe that's a better use of your resources there, but using them as sweeteners to get rid of bad contracts is unacceptable. That is really bad match from the Mets. But there is a little light at the end of the tunnel. The Wilpons are selling. Yes, news breaks on Wednesday about, I'd say about an hour after the Zach Wheeler news happens, that the Sterling Group, which comprises the Met ownership hierarchy of Fred Wilpon, Jeff Wilpon, Saul Katz, they're negotiating with one of their minority investors, Steve Cohen, to sell the franchise to him and give him a majority interest in the team. Cohen is currently about an 8% shareholder in the franchise, and once this deal is done, he's going to own about 80% of the team. As of right now, the fine print on the deal says that Fred and Jeff Wilpon remain in their roles through 2025. At that point, Colin will have a full takeover. There are reports out that he will own about 56% of the team as soon as the deal is done. And the good news to the Mets fans is this guy is a passionate Mets fan who is worth $9.2 billion. That's billion with a B. If the sale goes through, and I guarantee you it's... Not a slam dunk. They approved him, the other owners, to be a minority owner, but he does have a little bit of baggage in his past. Cohen is tied up in the past. He's gotten involved in insider trading because he's a hedge fund guy. He has 
a couple other things in his past. We will break this down further in a special bonus episode of the podcast coming out over the weekend. But if the sale goes through, this guy is going to spend money and put the Mets back in the market for the big free agents. That means that, you know what, Mets fans? You can dream about Mookie Betts in Flushing next year when he hits free agency. You could dream about them having a splurge and going after a guy like him, going after JT Real Muto to catch Brody Van Wagen's White Whale. You can imagine them being in the market for the top of the market guys instead of just selling for the fruit and nuts, actually, Scott Boris likes to say. They made a fruit and nuts trade today. They picked up Jake Marisnik from the Houston Astros for a pair of nothing prospects. Okay, fine. He fills the Ligaris hole. They're probably going to be all they do in terms of position players this offseason, but Next winter, you have a lot of money coming off the books. You want to assess is his deal is done. David Rice finally off the luxury tax payroll, which is nice. Wilson Ramos can be put into free agency if they decline his option. Justin Wilson's a free agent. Uh, who else is there? Jed Lowry's a free agent. That's a lot of cash to spend. And Steve Cohen, he's going to spend it. It may not happen today. But it should be coming soon. It's amazing that a guy who is caught up in insider trading in the past is now the Mets' white knight because he actually cares more about throwing as much resource into the baseball team as he can than the Wilpons did. It's amazing, but the sun will come out tomorrow, Mets fans. It's amazing to say this. There is actually some hope here. may not be immediate, but you can rest assured that the days of seeing Guys on your team, the homegrown talent guys, like a Zach Wheeler, like a Jose Reyes, walk without getting an offer from the Mets, are over. That's great news. All right, and that will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guests, Alan Pines and Zach Cohn-Douglas of the Fantasy World Podcast for hopping on to do a fantasy football playoff preview this week. I also want to thank Nick Frietta for coming into the studio to do some NFL picks for Week 14. For more good stuff like this podcast, including my instant reaction to the sale of the Mets from the Will Ponds to Steve Cohen, check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Search for Just End the Suffering there, and you can get all of our old episodes on the archives of those platforms. Check it out. You will not regret it. Feel free with your feedback and star ratings as well in order to help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag, same old Jets, you made at the end of this week's show because they are still the same old Jets. Coming up next on the podcast, we will have a special bonus episode, as I mentioned. I am working on setting up a time to record with our legal correspondent, Phil Frietta. We will break down all the legal ramifications of this sale of the Mets from the Will Ponds to Steve Cohen. What does this five-year timetable mean? What does it mean that Saul Katz wanted out? Will Steve Cohen, What exactly did Steve Cohen get involved in? How will that potentially impact the sale of the franchise? All that stuff, we will discuss that coming up soon. But until then, I'll be a better week than Jets fans. Ah, yeah.